Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Sig Neutron is a creature designer, special effects makeup artist, and a creative force of nature. Sig has done effects work on multiple movies, including Tron Legacy, Sucker Punch, and Star Trek Discovery, and was on Face Off Season 7, and then again on Season 11 as one of the Face Off All-Stars. Nowadays, Sig and his partner in crime, Ranny, are putting out a lot of their own original content, and the volume of stuff that they put out is pretty amazing. Everything from music videos to skits and pinup photo shoots, all of which are driven by practical effects makeup. Sig is also one of those really unique effects artists who has a very strong signature style, and you can easily spot his work, which has a very fun sensibility that combines monsters with sleaze and naughtiness, along with a strong influence from gross-out cartoons from the 90s, all of which feels like it's part of this very unique universe that Sig has created. I don't know. I just love his work. It reminds me of all of the stuff that I used to love as a kid, and it just makes me happy. Seriously, all of you listening, do yourselves a favor and check Sig's work out. His videos, his Instagram page, all of it. It's awesome. Sig also hosts a podcast that I really enjoy called Sig Neutron Sputron, available everywhere you listen. And he does a pretty cool series of live streams on Twitch where he breaks down his effects techniques. We had a pretty wide-ranging conversation. We got into everything from creativity to practical effects, and we explored spirituality in quite some depth as well. Sig has a very well-developed and fascinating spiritual sensibility, and there's a lot to learn from him. I always love talking to him, and I hope you guys enjoy this. This conversation as much as I did. Here, without further ado, is the one, the only, Sig Neutron. Sig Neutron, how you doing, sir? I'm doing uh, fantastic, all things considered. That's good. That's good. So, uh, big fan of your work and your podcast, and really, really like your thoughts on creativity. It's uh, definitely very inspirational, a lot of really actionable stuff here. So, from a creative perspective, as a creator yourself, what has this time period been like for you? I think we're on something like day 30, maybe even more of COVID-era quarantining. How has this time been for you as a creative? Uh, Well, you know, it's actually... It's interesting because last year uh, we had this crazy spiritual awakening, I guess you could call it. I mean, I feel like the term spiritual is too loaded and it gives people the wrong idea. Um, I'm not talking like religion or any kind of dogma or anything. It's just like more of an awakening to uh, all of the things going on behind the scenes that most people don't believe in. Um, And that led me down a path of like quantum physics, uh, studying all kinds of theologies and religions. And uh, Rani, uh, who I'm quarantined with, she uh, began to like channel like messages. And she realized like she's like a spirit diviner. She does bone divination now. And all of these things like you call it spirit or the unseen or whatever, they were kind of like guiding us through last year. And it helped me get sober and uh, basically like totally get my life on track. And then I just, they guided me towards uh, alchemy. So I started reading about alchemy and it's the process of, a lot of people think it's just turning lead into gold, Mm -hmm. but really it's about taking all of these, this, this material and then extracting each of the best parts of it through each stage. And to do that, the first stage is called the uh, the Negretto phase, and it's the black phase where everything has to like rot and putrefy, and then you have to extract the best essence from that. Hmm. Um, this is, a, I guess, a really long-winded explanation to say that I kind of like started learning about this process, and it's a universal process in nature. And now I'm realizing 
that they, I guess they woke me up to all of these ideas so that I could in turn be ready to experience this collective alchemical transformation of humanity. And I think that because before this, I was talking at length on my podcast about, man, it's like, how can anybody sort of better themselves and how can we develop culture when nobody has any time? Right. Our entire system is made on slaving away for the almighty dollar, the imaginary idea of concept of money. But really, it's actually freedom that we're all slaving away for. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the money is just the name for it and the system of control. Uh, but I think it's kind of amazing because now the the world has essentially like put on pause and now everybody has that we're like all in our own little spaces and we have nothing to do but like self-introspection right. and try to, to rethink our priorities in the world because we were our priorities i mean i think we can most of us can agree that like the human race our priorities are a little bit screwed up you know? yeah now they have so, been for a while yeah so it's like i think that so this time it's like I see all of my friends uh, that do art and stuff. They're branching out in different ways, like doing digital drag shows. And we're just uh, like cranking out uh, videos that we're shooting. And it's kind of fun because we have to use we have to be um, uh, creative in the ways that we produce content because it's just me and Randy and our dog here. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're like I'm shooting videos where I play like all the characters. And, you know, it's, it's fun. It's like a, it's another layer of like like a fun, I don't know, a fun restriction, I guess, that right. forces you to be more creative. Yeah. If you look at it that way, you can also look at it like it's terrible. But I mean, it, everything is a matter of perception. And if you can choose the way that you perceive things, then why not choose to perceive things in a more positive way? And I've heard from a lot of directors that it's the constraints, whether they be budgetary constraints or time constraints or resource constraints. It's those constraints that end up pushing you to be more resourceful and therefore more creative. Yeah. yeah. But Absolutely. yeah, I've been following this stuff that you've been putting out. The the Augie videos are pretty hilarious. The Joe Necrotic thing was awesome. I knew <laughs> when you when you focused on the very initial shot when he takes his hat off, I for a second I was like, he's totally gonna like peel skin off of his head. <laughs> totally saw it happen. But yeah, you seem to put out stuff really, really fast. I mean, you just strike me as a kind of relentless creator. I mean, how can you talk about your creative process? I mean, I've heard you say a lot of really interesting things just about the notion of creativity. But for you, what is the, your kind of day-to-day -day content output process like? And, and to feel like I'm putting it in very technical terms, but how are you able to put out so as much as you do? Yeah, um, well, I, you know, I, I put it this way is that I kind of uh, underplan things so that I don't overthink them is I think that a lot of times we creatively overthink things when we're comparing it to something else. Right. Like, you know, it's like if you have an idea, you're the only person in the whole world that's had that idea. There may be variations of the idea, but the, you're the only one that's going to do it exactly how you're going to do it. Right. So you might as well just do it. And I think that's where the creative good stuff comes from. It's the first stuff to come out. Mm -hmm. And then we end up like diluting it and trying to change it and trying to like second guess ourselves when really just just go for it, you know, and mm -hmm. and it is what it is. And then I always say you could spend your entire life creating one masterpiece or you can spend your entire life making an amazing body of diverse work that is just tells your story, you know? Yeah, no, I think there's something huge to that. Clive Barker says, vomit out the first draft of everything. Force yourself to get the first version of everything out as fast as possible to not overthink it because that is indicative of the purest part of the idea. Because the more you think about it and the more you redo it, the more it gets watered down, the less it, true it is to the original, you know, conception of the idea for sure. 
Mm-hmm. And it's funny that you kind of like put it that way too. It's like, again, I guess that sort of ties back into the alchemical process. It's like you throw out this like materia and then it's all there. And then you go, then you can go back and refine it, but you have to have like the, the material there mm-hmm. to refine, you know? And then I think just getting that material out sometimes is what stops a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated about this idea of alchemy that you're talking about. How does that manifest itself in a, in like a daily practice for you or does it? The first phase of like alchemy, like I said, the Negretto is a lot about like facing the shadow and it's it's embracing those parts of ourselves. And because basically it's it's a lot of self-examination and okay. I do like a lot of thinking day to day. And it actually like really like it helps my creative process, too, because like when I start pondering the nature of my own existence, then I started pondering the nature of creativity and where do ideas come from and, and why do I do what I do? And, you know, it's a lot, alchemy is a lot of like work with your shadow. And basically we tend to make the assumption that our personality is us, our true self, Mm -hmm. but really our personality is just the parts of ourselves that we've edited and we show the world. And then we hide all these other parts that are like, they think are weird or not socially acceptable. And then those start to fester under the surface because they're not uh, acknowledged and they're not, um, you know, utilized in a healthy way. So then they start manifesting in depression or anxieties or fears. So mm-hmm. I dig into all that stuff and I embrace that stuff and I embrace my flaws and I use that as I transmute it into creative ideas. And like, you know, it's like most of my uh, creatures, they have like substance abuse problems. And, you know, and like I had for six, no, I, probably like seven years, I had like a huge drinking problem. And, you know, but it was like, Rather than like get down on myself for having a drinking problem, I just use that as fuel to transmit because I know other people like are in the same boat, you know, and yeah. it's, again, it's it comes back to a matter of perception. I could look at those seven years and think that I've wasted my life or I could look at those seven years and think that I learned a lot about what it's like to go down that path. And now I can use that to fuel my creativity. You know? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things I love about just observing your work online is you have such a well-defined universe of characters and it seems like it has its own laws of physics and stuff, but it's everything it, it, your signature aesthetic is so recognizable. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really cool. I mean, I, I'll one day would love to see you have some sort of peewee's playhouse kind of shit like Sig Neutron's Sputron playhouse or however that manifests, but it's so clear that you have such a well-defined universe that you've created with characters and laws of physics and nature and stuff like that. How did that all come about? I mean, how did you develop your signature aesthetic and how did that turn into the, the this universe that you're, you've built and continue to build? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thanks, man. That, that means a lot to me. It's like, it, it was, I think when I, I think a lot of people, once they discover their style, that's when, like, I think that's like probably one of the hardest parts is being an artist because you want to be original and you want to like push something, but then it also feels like you're forcing yourself to be original. Right. Um, but you know, I think that it's for me, it was just, I just had to find the things that resonated with me as a, a human being. And those happen to be substance abuse problems and drugs <laughs> and alcohol and sleazy, gross, like, uh, Ren and Stimpy, gross, like extreme close up type visuals. So and then um, my real name is Brandon Dishman, and I didn't really want to be known as the artist Brandon Dishman. Like mm-hmm. I wanted some like weird sleazy sci-fi name, and uh, Sig Neutron just sort of came out of nowhere. And then 
it's weird because this is like way long time ago before I was ever into alchemy or anything like shadow work or anything like that. And I created the Sig Neutron character. He was basically my my shadow, the antithesis of me. It was all the bad parts. It was like Sig Neutron was this character that traveled the universe and he was trying to be the baddest of the bad guy in the universe. So in turn, he sort of acted like the anti-hero because he was traveling the universe and taking the heads of the most evil beings around the galaxy. <laughs> And then that was sort of my starting point. And then there I just started fleshing it out with all of these like weird creatures and and strange, uh, I don't know, strange things that, uh, you know, that inhabit the universe. And then I met Rani and then we made Bizarro a go-go. Right. And she brought like the pinup, sexy, weird vibe. And then her brain also thinks of all kinds of weird things. So then we started diving into like advertising and strange products. So and then it just it's all sort of like naturally unfolded into this like strange strange world that uh you know and now it's like now that i believe in like reincarnation and stuff like i'm wondering like if these if i'm like i think maybe we tell stories about things that we've experienced on other planets or in the past like i'm actually mm. like i i have this theory i call it a reverentism it's my philosophy because oh, it yeah. combines all yeah. sorts of weird like all kinds of things, like elements of Christianity, Buddhism, like all the Satanism, like all this stuff into like one cohesive, open-minded philosophy. Um, and I think that I, I firmly believe that the, well, I don't firmly believe anything, actually, that's the whole point, uh, is that I think that space travel, the way we do it is through the spirit realm. So when we actually, so our bodies are actually physical spacesuits. And our minds are infinite and cosmic and we can travel to stars. But if we want to anchor ourselves into space time, we we incarnate in a body. And I think that we pull some of this stuff from our infinite cosmic minds. And when we regurgitate it on whatever planet we're at and we, we tell so because where do ideas come from? Honestly, mm -hmm. you know, it's like I talk to all of my artist friends and they have the craziest, weirdest ideas. And like half of like David Lynch and things like they they say that they, they don't even know if they can claim their ideas as their own because right. it feels like they just come from somewhere else to you, you know? And yeah. it's like, where is that? <laughs> no, I totally believe that too. I mean, I've, I've had moments where these ideas have just hit me in writing or, you know, anything else. And it's, I literally can't claim it. It's like, where did that come from? And I, I think there is something to the idea of being a open vessel for whatever spirit or muse or however you want to, whatever you want to call it, um, mm -hmm. to send you those ideas. Cause I think they're just, they're there. Yeah. Yeah. David in, in David Lynch's meditation book, he talks about how ideas are just big fish floating around. And if you're open to it, you can catch them, but they're not really yours. That's like the mm -hmm. idea. And, and I think the whole idea is to get, get yourself out of the way, take yourself out of the equation so you can be receptive to these ideas wherever they're coming from for sure. Yeah. And if you further dissect that idea is like, you know, it's you start digging into quantum physics and it's mm -hmm. like we're here, but we're not here. There's like superposition and quantum entanglement and like all of these like everything is and isn't at the same time, which is right. like it's these weird concepts to wrap your head around. But if you uh, when I started forcing myself to try to understand these things, then a lot of the things about the world start to make sense. Like we're we're living in a world that feels so so crazy and, and weird and dumb, but it's only because like we don't understand it, you know, and a lot of people don't work towards an understanding of our own existence because mm -hmm. society has taught us that this is the way it is. You know, right. you're just a, you're just a meat bag that's going to die and that's it. You know? right. And it's like, and then nobody questions it any further than that. And then they wonder why everyone's so unhappy. You know, it's like, <laughs> 
Well, what put you on your spiritual path to arriving at irreverentism and uh, and the beliefs that you have and the experiences that you've had? How, how did how did that? What was that path for you? Like, yeah. So it was actually uh, last year, January of last year, we went to New Orleans of all places, and it's funny because I was filming for a. A joke documentary docu series I was going to do about start trying to start a cult, and <laughs> I decided I okay I guess since I'm going to New Orleans now's the time to start it. So I start uh, I t- I was talking to this dude on the plane and like I'm filming everybody and I'm just like my again it was like one of these ideas that came from nowhere and the whole idea of the cult was like human interaction like genuine human interaction and connectivity and things like that and I would ask people if they want to join my cult, but. Then I'm I'm filming for that, and then Ranny just decides we leave this uh, drag show one night, and then this lady pulls up on a bike, and then Ranny immediately walks up to this lady, and just starts having this intense conversation with her, and then like then they they just start both crying, and then she's like hugging her, and she's like Whoa. it's okay, child, I'm gonna make it all better, and then me and this lady's friend we're like outside of this, and we're like what is happening here. And, uh, and I was, we're like, something really intense is happening right now, but we're all strangers. And then, so I asked the lady and she's like, well, her mom just passed away last night. And like, somehow like Randy picked up on that. And then they had this like really deep, like conversation about it. And then from that night on, like Randy started channeling, uh, we basically had like spiritual tour guides around New Orleans. Like she had knowledge of the city that there's no way that she could have had. And we like we she was we were tied. So then I start filming her because wow. obviously, OK, this is really interesting and I'm already filming. So then the docuseries switch shifts to that. And then so I start documenting Ranny's like awakening and then channeling these spirits and then all these crazy synchronicities start happening like undeniable like weird crazy synchronicities and then we come back home thinking that you know they were just spirits of new orleans but then they weren't and then they're like then they it it develops into they're not just spirits they're universal archetypal energies and then they start showing us how to like energetically clean the house and then that's when they got sober and then it's like so then i'm still documenting all this stuff and i have all this footage that's waiting and it's gonna i'm gonna put it into a docuseries called black tea and bourbon oh my gosh which uh yeah and it's like you know it's i have no doubt because i see the way that they they help influence events like the i call it the unseen and uh it's they they were having me film. They were giving me the idea to film because this this amazing life changing event was about to happen, and I was going to document it, and then I was going to share it with the world in the form of a docu series. <laughs> so that's like where it all started. I'd always been interested in, you know, how the world works and magic and things, but uh, I don't know. The world told me it didn't exist, and I just kind of believed that for some reason <laughs> until uh, I was smacked like right in the face with proof to me. I always say it's like I can tell you my stories, but. I don't expect you to believe it because you're only going to believe it when it happens to you. Because it, when it happens to you, it'll be so profound and undeniable that you'll believe. But I can't do that for you. It's something that you, everybody has to find on their own, you know? Yeah. So that trip to New Orleans was originally going to be, it's, it sounds like something around, along the lines of a found footage kind of documentary style film. But then these events just started taking place. Had Rani ever had experiences like that? Has she been a... Has she channeled spirits in the past? Would that is that would that make her a medium? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. You the medium, uh, you call them channels. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, we we honestly because like, we just got thrown in this. We don't even know what to call ourselves. You know, we're just yeah, like yeah, I yeah. don't know. We like, this all just happened. It all just yeah. Wow. So I mean, in the past, she she had like 
it's funny because like I thought about it the other day. It's like we would be out like drinking or something and then she would just like tell somebody something that was like so profoundly personal to them that there'd be no way that she knew that. And then it would like totally like freak them out. And then I was like, ah, I would always brush it off. I was like, eh, it's okay. Randy gets like weirdly psychic sometimes. Don't worry about it. You know, and it's like, and we just thought it was a joke too. We're right, like, right. we were kind of, you know, it's like we believed that something was going on, but like, I don't know, it never became such a big profound deal that like, you know, we, like it did until we went to New Orleans and, you know, we had played around with like Ouija boards and things like that. And we definitely believed that the Ouija boards were working because we had a bunch of crazy experiences with that, like many years really? ago. I always yeah. heard those were a no, no. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I think it, the more I'm learning about this stuff, the, the less scary paranormal stuff seems and the more just practical it seems. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there is a, you know, in hermetic principles, there's like as above, so below. And in the spirit realm, I believe it's just like our realm. There's a hierarchy of beings mm-hmm. and they're like, if things that are like that you think are demons or scary ghosts are like fucking with you, they're, they're usually just like lower vibrational beings that the only way that they can mess with you is to scare you and, and make you think that there are all these like powerful demon and they have sway over your lives. But usually it's, you know, it's like, it, you know, lower vibe, like trickster energies right you know, right just trying to get there like the spiritual off. or the 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 kind of ectoplasmic equivalent of somebody cutting you off in traffic yeah yeah they don't really have any power but they'll just yeah. like to fuck with you so to speak yeah they can like influence just enough to scare you into thing and it's it's weird because i'm learning that a lot of these energies uh really have effects on people's moods too so i think that if people could start opening themselves up to the idea that there is a unseen realm at work here, mm-hmm. then they can learn how to actually navigate that better. Because right now, we're a lot of people are just living subconsciously. Right, you know, they're just sort of floating through life, and you know, and this this goes like that's why irreverentism. I say that spirituality is practicality. So when you're subconsciously floating through life, uh, whether on a spiritual sense or not, you're you're subject to the forces of whoever's trying to sway you like on a spiritual realm and also in a physical realm, like, you know, for instance, the government or society or something, you're just like, you're, you're at the whim of outside forces. Right. But when you become like, bring your mind and your consciousness to be more present and more mindful, then you start living consciously and you make conscious decisions and you're not so much swayed by outside forces. So you become part more, you become more of your true self in a sense, you know? Right. Right. No, I think that makes all the sense in the world because I think it's so easy to live by your subconscious and your subconscious is just the kind of psychological effect of everything that's ever happened to you ever. So if that's the case, you're constantly just regressing and you're constantly just rehashing things that have already happened and preconceived Mm -hmm. notions of yourself. And then there's no room for any sort of growth or healing or anything new. It's just like this re and I I see people in these cycles, so to speak. Uh, I think it's most people, unfortunately. Yeah, Joe Dispenza does a really good job of uh, explaining it. He's like a neuroscientist. Oh, I'm a huge but... fan. Oh, yeah? Huge. Okay, yeah. 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 I, I haven't so, gone to one of his so... retreats yet, but I want to. Yeah, it's like I love that he – because this is what, like my goal too is like I'm trying to he, – he focuses more on the practical end and he's like here's the neuroscience behind it. But also you can tell he's kind of spiritual too, but mm-hmm. he doesn't like really it's, – it's all about how you skin things in, in words. And that's right. why I'm trying to like break down this like – stigma of spirituality and realize that it's no, it's just like a deeper understanding of how your mind and your brain and your consciousness work, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, he puts it really great. And it's, yeah, that people get stuck in these cycles of thinking and feeling 
And, you know, the same experiences lead to the same emotions and the same emotions lead to the same experiences. So if you're in this cycle, then you have to do something that literally breaks your entire cycle. And that's why I think it's so beautiful that the world right now is literally breaking everyone's cycle. Right. You know, and I know there is shitty, terrible things happening with death and stuff like that. But, you know, but also we have to acknowledge that and and honor that. But also we have to because I see people post things like, oh, all you guys saying that this is for a reason and this is like good things are going to come from this. And it's like, you know, OK, or we could all just like uh, wallow in in despair and anxiety. And you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. It's like you have to look at the positive at some point or you can live in the negative. That's fine. It's It's totally you are in charge of your own experience. Yeah. I literally just watched a uh, documentary called uh, Maybe Logic last night about mm. uh, Robert Anton Wilson. And oh my God, that guy's a genius, man. And he's like, really? he says that we use the word is way too much because, uh, you know, th- like I said earlier, everything is and isn't even on a, like a quantum level. And if everybody just acknowledged that we're all cosmic schmucks, the more we acknowledge <laughs> that. And the more we, we say that and the more we realize, the more the less we begin to act like cosmic schmucks. Because when you uh, insist that you know something, that's when you, like usually you're you make bad decisions. If you just mm-hmm. accept that you don't know anything, then it's much it's a liberating experience that you can just float in this wonderful, weird existence of like no absolutes, you know. Cosmic Schmucks. I feel like that's the name of your book on a reverendism. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, it's crazy because like I didn't even know about this guy. And my friend Chet Zara actually uh, sent me the link. Oh, and, nice. Uh, I know Chet. I, yeah. I don't know him personally. I know his work, though. Oh, he's awesome. Um, but uh, he, uh, this guy, Robert Anton Wilson, also started, or I don't know if he started, I'm still looking into it, but uh, Discordianism where it basically says that chaos is just as divine and important to the universe as order. Mm-hmm. Because like a lot of uh, new age thought is all about love and light and you know order and harmony. But disharmony is just as an important part of the cosmic whole. And that's what discordianism is about. And I'm like, oh my God, it's almost like a reverentism. So, right. so it's exciting to, to think so far down a path and then discover somebody else who is already playing in that realm of thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I feel like without chaos, you don't have any sort of appreciation for order and people who bring order and people who bring value. If you don't have some semblance of you know, everything for me always goes back to Star Wars eventually, but it's yeah. like the, the oh, totally. light side of the dark and the balance between the dark side and the, uh, and the light and the way of the forest and stuff like that. Uh, as Greg Braden puts it, like consciousness informs itself. So these stories that we tell ourselves, Star Wars, why do you think that resonates so hard with so many people? It's because I think they feel the deeper cosmic truths of it. Totally. You know, there is the force. There's the light and the dark. And they spin it in a way that the dark isn't necessarily evil. The dark has its agenda uh, and the light has its agenda, you know. But then there's like there's the um, what, do you, what do you call it? The 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 Imperials or whatever, you know, they're taking um, out like the Empire. Yeah, yeah. The Empire. That, they, they would be Imperials. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, but they're not necessarily linked to the dark side, but you know, there's dark sides manipulating it and you could totally like liken those concepts to the world that we're living in. You know, it's like they're, I I say that like they're, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, I think it's great. And I think that that's, is if you are these cosmic beings that couldn't also, I believe that there's like Star Trek is telling us like these Mm -hmm. minds that are trying to help civilizations and planets around the, the universe develop. You can't, uh, you can't interfere directly because that would screw up their, you know, development. That's, I think it's the prime directive, they call it in Star Trek. Uh Uh, You can't, you can't, uh, you know. And so I think that 
what better, more genius way to do that is if we were traveler, if we say that you and I or something were actually like our mind began on a different planet that grew up with a different society and a set of rules and like knew these things. And then if we wanted to help another planet rather than go there in a spaceship, what if we went there in and fully immersed ourselves so that we like there was a temporary blocker on our memory as we slowly mm. like developed and progressed. And then that's where these ideas come from is because those were the ideas we were supposed to bring to this planet. But since we're just as lost as everybody else, it's not necessarily cheating because we're not coming at it from a place of so far advanced. We're coming at it from a place from we were advanced, but we have to remember that we were advanced to help raise the, you know, the collective vibration of a planet and it, thus its development of its civilization. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty deep <laughs> stuff, man. It's like, it's like I could talk about this, this stuff like all day long, man. <laughs> no, but I've, uh, yeah, I've gone down certain roads and, uh, had certain experiences and, you know, traveled in, in interesting ways where I, uh, it's, I, I hear what you're saying and I, it, it resonates with me in a big way and, uh, DMT helps. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Yeah. It's, uh, I think that psychedelics are, um, they're the fast track way to raise your vibrations and your consciousness to, uh, higher levels. It's what's funny is that everybody just assumes that, Oh, it's, you know, it's a drug. It just messes with the chemicals in your brain. And that's why you see the things, but actually there's not really even that much like research on psychedelics to prove definitively that you're not actually seeing what you're seeing. Right. And like, you know, your mind isn't going anywhere. And so it's like, I think that it's, I, I think that we can get to those places without substances, um, but I think that it's those substances are important because it shows people that there's more. Mm -hmm. And that's why the government, does, they don't want you. They want you kept in the matrix of oh, like yeah. you're a meat bag and that's all you are. But it's like anyone that has a, a mystical psychedelic experience that alone, like whether they believe in God or whatever, like, you know, that's what it's one of those things I was saying is like when it happens to you, it's so profound and you know it. Mm -hmm. And it's like those those are the kind of experiences that people need. But then drugs are demonized and, you know, it's, but it's like, sure, anything can be bad in uh, like overusing it and abusing it. But, you know, they're like they're medicines to show us that there are, is more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I think that it's beautifully put because I think it does show you that there are other dimensions and there's other levels of consciousness that humans are capable of. But the mm -hmm. idea of there's other ways to arrive at this without the actual, without taking something, I think is huge. But that argument drives me crazy when you hear people saying, oh, no, 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 you didn't have this unbelievably cosmic, you know, euphoric, insanely united experience with cosmic, eternal, for endless, timeless forces. You were just hallucinating because you were <laughs> high. I've never heard anybody who's done DMT say that. That's the thing. Know, it's always right? the people who have never done it before who yep. are the first ones to, oh, you were just high, you know, yep. chalk it up to something like that. But uh, now I, I think it is the next big revolution in consciousness around the corner. And it's around the corner. I think they're seeing what ayahuasca does to people in terms of overall consciousness raising other things like ibogaine are really helping people in huge ways get over addiction issues i think these things are uh, i think it's around the corner but i think you're right is a lot of governments probably don't want people to know about this because yeah. you get too smart you understand yeah. too much about the nature of things and yeah i, I think keeping these these 
the medicines away from people is it, without a doubt a form of oppression. But I feel mm-hmm. like the gates are starting to break open. I feel like with the advent of these retreats that there seems to be more and more of with everything from DMT to to mushroom retreats and in certain cases I began retreats, it's happening. Mm-hmm. It's happening yeah, little I, by little. I've seen some articles uh, that, you know, uh, the FDA is starting to approve like microdosing and things like that for mm-hmm. uh, depression and PTSD. And, you know, it's if we would just loosen up these restrictions, that's that's the whole thing. It's like there's some element on this planet that is in a position of power that is trying to keep humanity from its potential. Oh, I don't yeah. know what it is. You could call it the Illuminati or, you know, the cabal or whatever. But there's there's obviously something here because all systems are set up to oppress the idea that we are have unlimited potential mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't know what that is. And I, it's like, I kind of go crazy sometimes like thinking about it, but it's, I, I think with this uh, pandemic and everything, you're seeing that those power structures crumble and that's going to break away to a new, a new, more compassionate, more connected world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's the beauty of this time period, regardless of, I mean, there's horrendous things happening. I don't mean to downplay that at all at, at all, or say that, yeah. this, the, you know, this is overall a positive thing. Um, but I think it is important to look for the silver linings and there's people who are having this unprecedented amounts of time with family and their children and they're able to connect with themselves. And uh, I mean, I'm getting a lot of creative work done, uh, so, yeah, I think if you look for the silver lining, it's definitely there. But I think the world just needed a break. As you'd said before, we're constantly, constantly just going way too fast, way too often, every single day. And I think this was cult- a cultural shift that needed to happen on a certain level. But, um, yeah, but, I mean, going back to the idea of realizing you're – humans infinite potential and the fact that there is somebody oppressing us from realizing that I think it goes back to star Wars. Once again, you know, the light and the dark. And I feel like if you have to fight for the liberation of your own consciousness, you really, really appreciate it in a big way, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, I think that's what, uh, people don't realize the importance of artists, but I think that's, that's what we do as artists and as creators is that we show people the magic of being able to manipulate ideas and stories and sounds and foods you know it's like any kind of creator any kind of you you curate an experience of any kind for someone else you're showing people how to manipulate the world that we're in Mm -hmm. and that gives people hope and that's that that inspires people that there's more to life to live than just to live to exist which is what our entire society is set up on right now yeah and that's that's what i'm hoping that's what I'm hoping that this accomplishes is that that system falls because man, it's there. It's just, there's so much out there that's so rewarding and so amazing about the world. And, you know, I, I realized that was part of what sent me into like drinking for seven years straight. It was just that I, I was like, is this it? You know, like there's no magic here. There's no nothing, but you know, it's, but there is, it's just the system is set up to convince you that it's not. Right, right. No, I mean you you have to you have to seek in the right way. Or if you're lucky, it sounds like it was the case for you in a certain to a certain degree in New Orleans, it'll it'll tap you on the shoulder. Yeah. I, you know, I think a lot more people are gonna start seeing that happen. Uh if you just start paying attention. I always tell everybody, if you want to know, just be open to the idea that you have a team of like spiritual like advisors and and people and guiding you through life and just start talking to them and be open and like ask for guidance, ask for, you know, 
uh, a sign or something, and then actually believe that the, it's possible. And then after that, just pay attention. Don't expect it immediately. Don't expect, you know, but just know that you asked and then know that you're going to get your answer in some shape or form. And it's going to come in the form of a coincidence that is like, hmm. okay, really? Is it, is that really a coincidence? <laughs> I don't know. And then after you'll have more and more coincidences. And then at some point you'll have to stop believing it's all coincidence and it's just, okay, there is something more going on here. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm totally going to do it. that. I'm trying yeah. it. Cool. Let me know. Let me know what happens. I will. I will. <laughs> so, <laughs> In looking at your work reminds me of my childhood in a huge way. I just see so many different traces of all the stuff I was into as this kind of nerdy horror kid. A little bit of Beetlejuice the cartoon. There's some Ren and Stimpy in there. I haven't heard the word spew until since I'd read like Cracked Magazine way back in the day. I mean, you just <laughs> you you bring up so much nostalgically. What's what as a child? What were you on a steady diet of as far as movies, cartoons, music influences? Because I mean, obviously, I would imagine your aesthetic really kind of comes from your childhood, right? Yeah, it's um, the. Oh, yeah. Like cult horror films. My mom was like really cool to let me like watch all kinds of crazy stuff as a kid. And yeah, all of these like weird, obscure cartoons like Ren and Stimpy. It was like Mutant League, um, you know, just anything. For some reason, I just really liked snotty, gross, like, you know, like Ren and Stimpy type, like something about that, man. Like those panels that were drawn and also like Mad Magazine. Yeah, me too. Um, And oh, and the wacky packages. Do you remember those? It sounds so familiar. They were, I think it, they were put out by Tops, but it was like kind of like in compared with Garbage Pail Kids, right. it was like uh, you would have, instead of Domino's Pizza, you'd have Donkey Nose Pizza, and then this, like Donkey would just be snotting yeah, on his yeah, pizza. Okay, yeah, yeah, I did have Yeah, that. and it was just all of these like gross products, and something about the gross aesthetic just, man, like spoke to me, and, uh, and then I had films like, um, you know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, and... Um, it is things that I call it the cartoony realism that mm-hmm. the Kyoto brothers brought. And it was a very big in the eighties. It was like exaggerated creatures that were goofy proportions, but then they skin them in weird, like realistic ways. Right. You know? And it like, uh, like freaked, um, one of my another faves. Yeah. And what's crazy is like that whole aesthetic of freaked is what I'm talking like that. I think that movie encompasses it like to a T. Um, but I actually didn't see that until like a couple years ago as oh, an adult hell. and after I had already developed the Sig Neutron style and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and then, Oh, it's, it's funny. Cause yeah, that was another influence. Uh, big daddy Roth, yeah. uh, was huge to me as a kid. I would like put together the models cause my brother was a car guy and I didn't care about the cars, but I was like, I saw big daddy Roth and I was like, wait, monsters and cars. Okay. You know? <laughs> Count me in. Yeah. And then uh, I was at the freak screening uh, not too long ago. And then they were talking about, yeah, that was totally the inspiration for their creatures towards the end was the big daddy Roth. And I was like, oh, yeah, totally saw that. So it's like there's all these like weird style notes that just they just uh, resonate with me somehow. And and it makes me really happy that that it. I exude that and it resonates with you in that way. That makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I, I really, really, really enjoy your work a lot. And uh, I, I feel like tracing who you were as a child and what you were into as a kid is a huge part of who you should be as an adult, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, Liquid Television. That was another uh, huge influence. 
I don't know if I like, ever saw uh, that. What was well, that? It was when it was like that little block of like TV that we had to stay up, sneak up and stay up late. Uh, there was like Aeon Flux. Uh, oh, yes, Max. yes. It was on. Um, it was on. I loved the Max. The Max yeah. was super cool. I had a VHS of it. And it's like three. the whole movie's three hours long. They pieced all the episodes nice. together. Nice. Uh, then there was the head. That was my favorite. It was like this, this guy that just had this huge head and this like purple demon lived in his head. I you remember, remember that. that one? I vaguely, it's vaguely yeah. remember. I think I have to Google that, that, it. like weird, like totally irreverent, absurdist surrealism i guess is just like so me you know and then who would have known that now it's like that's filtering into my philosophy on life is just absurdist irreverent (laughs) yeah i feel like we don't have a lot there was a lot of that stuff when i was a kid and i guess when you were a kid too where there was i don't know what to call it it was a time when there were i feel like there's nothing like ren and stimpy now at all because I think kids would either be too scared of it or it'd be, it would be considered as too explicit for kids. But watching it now, I watched it recently. Not only does it hold up, but you're like, holy shit, this is not for kids. All sorts of <laughs> yeah. weird sexual innuendo between the two of them. And it's and the gross out stuff is like really it's it's still gross as an adult to this day. Yep. It was so ahead of its time, but not because you couldn't do that now. I feel I feel like there yeah. isn't this stuff that's no holds barred level for kids kids anymore which is sad well yeah you know i think it's weird because uh you know with the whole bizarro go-go show and everything like that like uh and also i have a bunch of different stories that i want to try to do it was like animated and stuff but like i'm seeing a lot of really interesting really racy pushing the limits content that's coming out from netflix now it's Hmm. like they've finally like like you got like big mouth which was the that I don't know if you ever watched that, yep, but it's like they, they really like they take that to some some places, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I so it's like I'm gonna I'm gonna try to put together some some pitches to Netflix and see if I can't get something that is very nostalgic to us like '90s kids and that gross absurdist kid humor, but not really kids. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it'd be huge. I mean, just observing how big um, I, Stranger Things arguably was was launched for, by people's love for 80s nostalgia. But for the sure. 90s kids, there was that really, really specific time period where you had stuff like the Beetlejuice cartoon and Gravedale High and all this absurdist kind of insane horror stuff. And I grew and, and Mad Balls and Garbage Pail Kids. And oh, I, yep, yep, Mad Balls, yeah. It, there's just like, you, you start going down the route and then you can totally see the the ties that bind that entire aesthetic. Oh, like, yeah. There needs to be a name for that, like 90s gross out kid aesthetic. I was trying to come up with it. I was like, there's yeah, I thought there has to be a name for it. I couldn't I couldn't think of it though. But uh, there's a few pop surrealist artists who do a great job at doing paintings that kind of bring back that aesthetic. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but uh, it's a book of uh, pop surrealist art. I'll, I'll figure it out. Oh, I'll okay. send you a link. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, but I, mi- I miss that time period, and I feel like now 90s kids are adult and making films and making stuff. I haven't seen somebody do anything that other than the work that you're doing, but I haven't seen anybody put out like a, a, a feature film that has that look or feel to it. I don't even see the cartoons with that style anymore. It makes me a little sad, but I think it's right around the corner. You know, so I love yeah, the idea that you're, you're pitching something to Netflix. That's that's super cool. So, are you still doing movie like effects on movies and uh, and TV nowadays? Or are you mostly focusing on your own stuff? Yeah, well, mostly I focus on my own stuff, but I'm always I freelance, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm open anytime. Like jobs just like come to me. Uh, I do a lot of like commercial work and stuff, but uh, you know now it's like work is completely non-existent. So I'm just trying to do my, really focus on you know 
our stuff. So yeah, yeah. And you went to the Savini School, right? Yep. Very cool. So how was that in terms of learning how to how to be an effects artist, so to speak? There's technique where you learn here's how you sculpt, here's how you life cast, here's how you paint, and like that. But then there's this intangible sense of developing your own style and aesthetic and kind of finding the spirit of the creations that you create. How, what was your process for finding that part of the art? You know, beyond just the technique, beyond being a good sculptor, painter, life caster, what was the learning process for, for really being an artist, so to speak? It's weird because like, ever since I can remember, like I was a kid, I just drew monsters all the time. Like that was, that was undoubtedly, I just wanted to live in a world of monsters, you know? Uh, so it just felt like a natural ability to see these things in my head. So it's like, I have really have no explanation for where that part came from. But then, you know, I, so that's my baseline, loving monsters, always drawing them. And then I start to be influenced by life experience and things. And then like, even now it's happening, like our art is reflecting quarantine and stuff. So it's like, right. I think you have to let your life experience, uh, flow into your art. And because like you are in a unique position of having your unique storyline. Like you're the only one that's experiencing life the way that you're experiencing it, you know, from the mm -hmm. people that you meet to the places that you are. Uh, so look at like, so in that sense, every single person's life is so miraculously individual and special. So you have a wealth of things to pour into your art that nobody else has, but also, but people have parallels to it. So you have to find what resonates with other people in a way that you're telling your personal perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's, it is a matter of channeling who you are and your own experiences into these, you know, into your creations to make them actually resonant for sure. Cool. Yeah. That makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. And you can choose to like be so far out there that nobody gets it, or you can choose to try to taper it in a way that people get it, you know, but it, it's up to you at the end of the day. It's like, if you're happy when you're creating, then you're doing it right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So with all of this uh, extra time that comes with, with this time of quarantine, any recent awesome discoveries as far as movies or music or even books? Hmm. Uh, man, I, I watch a lot of uh, Gaia TV now, which I totally Ooh, recommend. It's like yeah. the Netflix for like open-minded individuals. I've seen it advertised. I've been a little, and they have all sorts of documentaries. They just seem to explode overnight. Like they just launched this channel. It's there's so much content there. Yeah, and uh, Joe Dispenza has his own show there Ooh, too. Wow. So, yeah, and then there's there shows like uh, Teresa Bullard's Mystery Teachings, where she's like a physicist, but she also is spiritual. So she combines quantum physics and spirituality, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just it's really like thought. Like I'm just like, ever since I I guess the awakening, I guess that's for lack of a better term, is right. like all I want to do is just learn new things. I just want to cram as much as I can into my brain and just keep like learning because the more that you learn, the more you expand your perspective, and the more. It, different ways you can think about the same thing, the more that you can see that same thing, the full picture of that same thing. So this existence of called life, the more you learn about different ways to think about it, the bigger that you can see the entire picture. Mm -hmm. Is that just like an app that you can get on Apple TV or something? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get the app. <laughs> I'm trying to think of any specifics that I've been into. Um, well, I mean, Tiger King, dude, that was oh, man. amazing. 
that was like such a fascinating and disturbing case study. Like not only not only to watch it, but then also to see how people interpreted it when they watched it. Mm-hmm. Because like when I watch it, my perspective is like these are terrible people, and I'm just very interested to see how these people live because I can't even believe that they exist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but but then you see other people watch it, and they're like they start to idolize these people, and they think they're amazing and awesome. And then it's like okay, well this that's wasn't <laughs> expecting that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, the, the the reactions people have had have been they've been pretty varied. Once you start expanding your perspective and stuff, I I do like that they sort of paint a a sort of dynamic picture of Joe Exotic. Like, uh, you know, people that hurt other people were hurt themselves, and we're like it's right. It is a cycle of tra- traumatic abuse, you know. And it's I think as a society to move forward, we have to start not condoning or being okay with uh terrible acts but also try to really start to get in touch with the human element of it mm-hmm. because everything isn't as black and white as it seems and we all we all make mistakes and we all do terrible things and sometimes it's because terrible things happen to us but that doesn't make it okay but if you want to start to understand things on a deeper level then rather than just writing these people off as like you know screw that guy right. they, think about it in a different way you don't have to agree with what he did but you know it's it's just where i'm at i like to think of things in deeper you know mhm i mean that whole that whole entire show was just 5 hours of watching the most insane brightly burning train wreck you've ever seen of humanity <laughs> i couldn't i couldn't get enough of it yeah Oh, another good uh, Castlevania on Netflix is like I love that. It's amazing. Oh, I've yeah? always loved the source material. Yeah, it's it's really it's funny because it starts painting a picture about like ma- mainly the humans are the bad guys, and then it starts like it brings in like religion, alchemy, all of these different spins on humanity. Okay, and there and it follows mainly the monsters that uh, are dealing with the scourge that is humanity, and it, it really parallels. Uh, Today, especially once season three rolls around, it's like it really starts digging into like, all right, maybe humans are the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was curious about that Castlevania show because I loved I grew up on the video games. I loved the video yeah. games. I still listen to the music from the games. Oh, totally, dude. Yeah, so Symphony good. of the Night was like, that game blew me away. That was, that, that was I logged so many hours in that game. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> that, Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I love my yes. old school horror 90s video games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was totally a, yeah. That was definitely uh, filtered into my aesthetic for sure. That was a big part of my childhood horror video games. <laughs> yeah, there were some good ones. Some really, oh, yeah. really good. I'm trying to think what else there was. Some Game Boy ones I was into. There's a Frankenstein Game Boy game that was some company nobody had ever heard of. Um, nice. That was awesome. And you had, he had a girlfriend. And <laughs> instead of the Bride of Frankenstein, and she was like stitched together, but somehow she got unstitched. She was kind of like Sally in Nightmare Before Christmas. And you okay. have to go around these levels picking up her pieces. And there's like a leg and an arm. And it was cool. I feel like I'm seeing like, because it, it, like movie covers and like video game covers, like I spent tons of time just in video stores staring at covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of people that grew up that are in our generation did. And so it's like I think I'm seeing like that Frankie like maybe had sunglasses or something like he's running down a corridor yeah yeah yeah, I see him in like there's just a little image of him in this position that's it he's holding like half of a woman (laughs) her name was Bitsy because she was all in bits (laughs) and pieces (laughs) that's amazing yeah I totally kind of vaguely remember that and it's funny because those those things start to like 
incorporate into my art and in like in a fever dream sort of a sense. It's like I barely sort of remember, like, was that real or did I dream that? You know, mm-hmm. and it's only until someone else corroborates the fact that it existed that I'm like, oh, I guess that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's funny how that stuff is just right there in your subconscious just waiting for you to unleash it. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm checking out Castlevania, though, for sure. Did you watch the right. Dracula Love. BBC special? No, no. Or series that was good. It's a three parter. It? It's it's pretty much like three movies. It's like three episodes. Okay. They're an hour and a half a piece. It's a very cool spin on Dracula. The third episode I was a little uh, not crazy about. They um, they I'm not gonna spoil it for you, but they they make it they make a choice that I you know it it kind of made it a little. It was still good. It's still worthwhile. But the first two yeah. episodes, there's everything you used to love about Hammer movies, but modernized nice. without being nice. throwbacky. Yeah, definitely recommend it. I'll have to check it out for sure. Well, cool, man. What, what else are you working on nowadays? So you have another Bizarro Go-Go episode going live last night. So basically, our, like what I'm doing now is I try to put out an episode of Sputron, my podcast, every week, mm-hmm. uh, which is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And then in between that... Uh, I'm making some kind of episode for Bizarro A Go-Go, which originally it was going to be sort of like a sketch comedy show or, or anthology where they all kind of bleed together. But since the social distancing hit, we're now we've got to scale it back. And now I'm just making Bizarro Gogo Presents, which are like short films about the characters that we can film here in quarantine. Uh, just kind of like flesh out the universe and still produce content. And then while I'm making those, I'm also filming a making of docuseries called Beyond Bizarro A Go-Go, which documents the making of all of these shows and just the fun stories behind it. So that's all available on our YouTube, youtube.com slash Ransig. Wow, it's really cool. And you and Randy are writing, filming, producing, editing all of this yourselves. That's yep. amazing, man. That's amazing. And you yeah. do all the music, too. Yep. Oh, God, I love making just dumb songs. <laughs> <laughs> They're catchy, though. Yeah, I found them to be Thanks, pretty man. catchy, for sure. Cool. Well, awesome. How? Uh, what's the best way for people to uh, to follow you and your work? Yeah, so, uh, well, I'm at Signutron on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and then on, yeah, and then uh, probably the YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Ransig, C-I-G. Uh, that's where all of our new content, video content's going up. And then we also have a Patreon, mm-hmm. patreon.com slash ran sig. Uh, and that's where I do. So I kind of touch on in our videos, the beyond bizarro go, go that's public. I sort of do quick sped up versions of me making, uh, effects and things mm-hmm. like that. But on our Patreon, you actually get access to detailed like tutorial step by step i tell you this is what i use this is how i did it and in addition to that you get like weird sexy monster photo shoots uh like randy poses for these every time we do a, a weird gross character we'll do like a funny sexy photo shoot with it so you get all of those on our patreon too her as danny trejo made me all kind of confused <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was the, one of the most amazing like, but uncomfortable I, things i think i've ever seen that was that was a tough one to just process like visually, uh, but it was it was amazing. And that's see, and that's all Randy too. She loves like combining that like sexy element with also like disturbing. And it's just like a really we're just we're just here to show people the stuff they've never seen before. And really, again, like shake up. I think that's part of the work, too. When I mentioned earlier, it's like we have to shake people out of their patterns of thinking and feeling, because yeah. once you see something new, it could completely change your outlook uh, in life. And you may not even realize it. Yeah, but it's just someone showed you this thing that you had no idea could exist. And you just seen it. You know, that's pretty powerful stuff. I feel like that's the true purpose of art.
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and then uh, Twitch. Yeah, I do a lot of live sculpting and stuff on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Sig Neutron. Oh, nice. It's like the main place that you can find me. Oh, yeah. cool. So you have videos of you making the effects and stuff like that. And awesome. We'll check it out. Yep. And then people can like hang out with me live and talk to me and ask me questions and stuff. And then I take those videos, speed them up, and then put them on the, forever on the Patreon because they're only up like usually like when it's live on Twitch. So nice. Cool. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I feel like I could easily spend another three hours talking to you, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're you're a busy man. But uh, this, was, this was a whole lot of fun. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, this was a great talk, man. Thanks so much. All right. Truthfully, I got so much out of this conversation, and I hope you kids at home did as well. You can all follow Sig's work on Instagram, and I highly, highly recommend you do. Seriously, follow him. His work is such a treat, and you're welcome. Big thanks to the amazing Sig Neutron for being here today. You follow Sig's work as well on the TikTok, which I still have not gotten around to figuring out. Don't forget to listen to Sig Neutron Sputron podcast, available everywhere you listen. You can also check out Sig on Patreon at patreon.com slash ransig, R-A-N-C-I-G, as well as Twitch at twitch.tv slash signutron. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Mm-hmm.